Happy Father's Day. Grab a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. And uh, as you're turning there, we are finishing up a series called Friend Requests. And uh, we've been talking about what the Bible says about relationships and friendships. So uh, we're glad that you're here if you're a guest. Uh, if you're watching online, we're really glad that you're, you're dialing us in this morning. Sociologists talk about the fact that there are many different kinds of poverty in the world today. So, so sociologists will say there's obviously material poverty. I think we know what that is. Uh, there's spiritual poverty in the world today. I think we know what that is, where you're just uh, living for the now. You don't give any thought to eternity or your relationship with God. But sociologists also speak of a concept called relational poverty. And relational poverty is really where you have all these people around you, but you lack true community. You don't have friendships. You, you don't have anybody you can call at 3 a.m. And so that's, that's kind of like relational uh, impoverishment, if you will. And it, it reminds me of uh, past missionary trips uh, to Haiti that I've taken over the years. And, and uh, you know, if you ever get to go on a mission trip, you should go. Uh, because one thing that you'll find that happens, you, you go to minister uh, to these people to serve them and to give to them. But what's fascinating is you end up receiving so much more than you ever give. I mean, it's a kind of an incredible thing. And so one of the things that you notice is the first two days that you're there, what really strikes you is all of the material poverty that you see. So whether you go to El Salvador or Haiti or really anywhere in the, in the third world, you'll notice the material poverty. And your first thought is, how do these people live without an indoor toilet? Like, how do these people live without, without running water? How do they live without electricity? And so the first day, two days, you're just kind of in shock over that. And then about day four or day five, you really start getting into that mode of serving and loving and getting to know the people. And then something happens in your heart and you realize you're jealous of the people that you're ministering to. And the reason why you're jealous is because you begin to perceive that they have something that you don't have, that they have a closeness with God, they have a contentment with the little that they have in their life, and, and, uh, and then they have real community in their relationships because you really notice that they are very tight-knit in their community and in their families. So they have this closeness with Jesus, this contentment, and this community. And so then by the time you leave, you're thinking about your life and you're thinking, man, there's something wrong with me because I don't have that. And you're thinking about, man, maybe they need to come to the United States and be missionaries here and teach us how to do it. And so your first thought is something is missing in my life. When in reality, it could be not something is missing, but someone is missing in your life. Or perhaps a group of someone's. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I think, I think what's challenging about living in American society today is our society glorifies rugged individualism. Our society glorifies rugged independence. And kind of the thought line of so many people in our societies, I don't need anybody else. I don't want anybody else. I just want to do my own thing. I just want to be left alone. And that's kind of the American way. That's kind of the American part of the American dream, if you will. And so the reality of that is this, that, that it's, it's, it's deeply unchristian when you really begin to think about what, what is being taught and what is emphasized and glorified. Because the whole agenda that God has for us is he's trying to grow us into God dependence. And he's trying to grow us in dependence on one another. 
And so, and so really you see a values clash just with, with our American society and, and with, with Christianity. And then it doesn't help because you have preachers like me that'll stand up and, you know, and say stuff like, well, you really need to have a personal relationship with God. Now that's true. You do need to have a personal relationship with God, but it's incomplete. What we really need is a shared relationship with God. What we need is to be a part of a group of someones who are moving in the same direction. They're pulling in the same direction as we are. They're pulling towards and pursuing God's greatness, God's goodness, and God's glory. That's, that's the kind of community that we, that we really need in our lives. And so the reality is this, that Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I want you to think about how mysterious that is, how supernatural that is. Jesus is literally literally saying that when two believers come together to to pray for a brother or sister or to worship together or just to share how their spiritual lives are doing, that literally the presence of God is between those two believers. That that is actually what fellowship is, the presence of God between two believers and in two believers. And that is the kind of community that I believe that God wants us to have. So then the question becomes, why do so many people experience relational poverty in their life? Why is that such a reality in America, especially coming out of a pandemic where this is being accentuated? By, our, by those circumstances of the lockdown. Well, I think there's probably two reasons for relational poverty in the, in, in the United States today. I would say one of them is this, modern conveniences really contribute to relational uh, poverty. Now you're like, what do you mean? Well, I was doing a little bit of reading about air conditioning. Do you know, do you know where we used to hang out in our homes before air conditioning was invented? you would hang out on the front porch. You guys ever watch the Andy Griffith show? You know what I'm saying? You'd hang out on the front porch or in the front yard. Why? Because it was cooler out there. That was where it was cool. And what did you do on the front porch in the front yard? You got to know your neighbors, didn't you? You built relationships, you built community. Well, they invented this guy. And what did we do as soon as we turned that thing on? We went inside. We said, we'll see y'all later. We're going on inside where it's cool. Now, that's a great and beautiful modern convenience, but it has impacted community in our world today, very much so. How about this? Some of you are going to have no idea what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about uh, the answering machine, uh, but I, I don't know. If you're my age or older, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? So, so if you're my age or older, how did you find out who was calling you way back when? How did you find out? You literally answered the phone. That's what you did. That you, I know it's crazy. I know it's weird. But when the phone rang, you answered it. You actually answered it. All right, but then they invented this guy. And this guy is an answering machine. And this thing changed society because this allowed you to start screening your calls. And so, and so that it would ring and then this thing would click on. Hey, this is Scott. Can't take the, you know, can't take the phone right now. But if you'll leave a message, we'll call you back. Beep, and then you start leaving the message and you're listening. You're like, I don't want to talk to them. I don't, I, want to, I don't want to be anywhere near them, you know? And you wouldn't call them back or whatever. Now, that's all, that's all convenient and everything, but it did have an impact on our relationships, did it not? It certainly did. How about this? If you're my age or older, what did you, what did you do when you wanted to play or just entertain yourself? What did you do? You're my age or older, what'd you do? 
You just go outside. And who did you play with? People. That's who you play with. Isn't that amazing? I know it's so weird. It is really weird. But you really did used to play with people all the time. Nowadays, when you want to entertain yourself, you want to play, you just, you just dial up your iPhone and you just start, you know, start scrolling through or your iPad, you just start scrolling through. And so that's great. I mean, it's wonderful. What a great piece of technology. But church, it's impacted community. It has impacted our relationships. And so now we have what they call an epidemic of loneliness. We have an epidemic of relational poverty. And so, and so my question then becomes, what is God's answer to relational poverty? What is his answer? What is his response? Well, love is, like Pastor Derek talked about. Love is the answer. Relationship is the answer. Community is the answer. Specifically, the church is the answer. That's the answer. And one of the things that I know as a pastor, what I've seen over the years is so many people attend services, but they're not in community. They're not connected. They're not supported. They're not joined together. And I think it's great that you attend services, but God wants so much more than just service attendance. What he wants is he wants community and relationship. It could be today, church, that you are one small group community of committed Christ followers away from seeing your marriage completely changed. You are one small group of committed Christ followers away from making a huge difference, filling a need in the community surrounding us all because of community and so and so what I have found is community can change your life but you've got to step into it you got to take a risk and step into it so here's what I want to do today I want to give you a breathtaking picture of biblical community I want to give you a little glimpse a little peek into what I think heaven eventually is going to be like. Uh, but I want to show this to you in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. What we're going to see here is really the birth of the New Testament church. That's what we're looking at today. And what I want you to notice is I want you to notice the togetherness in this, okay, as I read through it. Notice what Luke records. He says this in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, just a simple observation here. Did you notice all the community there? Did you notice all the theys? That they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to breaking bread. They were devoted to praying together. They were devoted to sharing all that they had so that others would, would, uh, would have what they needed. That they were seeing explosive growth of the church because there was this, this inclusion, this spirit of inclusivity there. And really what it is, it's the power of the grace of God working through the people of God so that the love of God is overflowing in relationships. So here's, here's what I want to do today, church. I want to I just want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you about what is the church. 
I want to paint a picture for you for what is the church. And then I want to talk about just three benefits of belonging to the church and being in community, all right? So first of all, what is the church? Well, I think, I think a lot of us, when, we're, when, I, when I ask that question, when I say that sentence, or you know, when I ask what is the church, what immediately comes to mind is we think of a church structure, a, a church building. We think of a building with a cross on it or a cathedral, a historic place that has stained glass windows on it, and, and it's just absolutely beautiful. But here's the truth. The church is really not a building. The church is not a place. The church is not even an event. And we say it all the time. We shouldn't because it's not technically correct. We say, I'm going to church. But the church really isn't a building. It's not a place. What you should say is, I'm going to a worship service. That's more accurate. I'm going to a Bible study. I'm going to a fellowship. Now, the church has a place. They have, the church has events. The church has a building. But if we lost the building tomorrow, we would still be the church because the church isn't a building. So then the question is, well, what is the church? Well, let me, give you, let me give you some thoughts on this. First and foremost, the church is God's family. The church is God's family on earth and in heaven. That's what the church is. It's the family of God. Since the beginning of the world, since the foundation of the world, God has, God has been working in a powerful way. You know what that work is? To build a family. That's his agenda. And when you figure that out, and join him in his work, life will become an adventure. When you see what he's trying to do underneath the surface, he's trying to draw people right into his family and he's called you to join him in that work. Church, not everybody is a part of God's family. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Not everybody's a part of his family. And so, and so the church is God's family on, on earth and in heaven. A lot of people a lot of people who are a part of the church are already in heaven. I'm so jealous of that, man. <laughs> but they are because God's family exists in both places. Here's the second thought I would give you. The church is composed of saved and baptized believers. So if you're asking the question, well, who's in the church? Who's in the family of God? Saved and baptized believers. So if you have your name on a roll in a church somewhere, on a church database, you may think that you're a Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian. It just means that you have your name on a roll in a database on a church somewhere. That's all that means. To be a part of the church, you have to be saved and baptized. That's what it means to be in the church. And so you see this in Mark 6, 16, or 16, 16. Jesus says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, some people look at that and they say, oh, you... Is baptism a requirement of salvation? Is it essential for salvation? And my answer is no. That water is not going to save you. That's just good old Bargersville water right there. That's, there's no holy water in there. But what it is is a symbol of what God has done inside of you. And so, and so but here's the thing. You need to be baptized. It's not enough to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to be baptized. That's a contradiction. You can't say that. You can't say, I'm following Jesus, and then you don't follow the first thing he tells you to, to do. And so really, what baptism is, it is the wedding ring of the Christian life. So when I put this wedding ring on, it didn't make me married. What made me married is when I spoke my vows to my wife and the commitment in my heart. That's what made me married. The ring is an outward sign of my vows and my heart. 
That's what baptism is. Baptism is a public declaration. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want everybody to know it. We ought to baptize, honestly, we ought to go baptize at Greenwood Park Mall. That's where we ought to do it, in the fountain up there, just to let everybody know the reality of that. And so, so I just want to challenge you, church. If you're, if you're a Christian, you've got to be baptized. If you're claiming to be a Christian and you, and you don't want to be baptized, you need to go back and, and relook at your, your profession of faith because there's something missing there. Here's the, here's the third thing I would say. The church is a group committed to Jesus and to each other. That's what the church is. It's just a group of people. We love Jesus and this, this group loves Jesus. So I'm jumping into this group because I want to go where they're going. There's a word for that. It's called membership. That's all that is. You know, it's interesting. I got a lot of friends that go to Mount Pleasant. Mount, I, I love my friends and Mount Pleasant's a great church. Uh, but you know where I'm committed? Right here. These are my people right here. These are people I'm growing with, that I can pray with, I can pray for and be prayed for by, you know. I, I, these are my people. And that's what membership is. It's just a commitment to a group of people. You follow Jesus, I'm going with you. That's what, that's what the church is. You see this in 2 Corinthians 8, 5. You get a flavor of this. The apostle Paul says they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That's, that's what it means to be a member. Membership is a commitment to a local group of, of people. It, church, listen to me. It's an intentional commitment. There's an intentionality to it. I am, I am committing to this group. I'm investing here relationally. And so it's an intentional relationship that you enter into for the, for the benefit of being in that relationship. And we do this all the time. If you've got kids, if you've raised kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because your kids were involved in show choir or band or football or basketball or whatever. You formed all kinds of intentional relationships with other parents who were committed to the same group. Now why? So that your kids would be really good at show choir and football and basketball and band. And so we did it every year with the boys playing football. Uh, every July, we, we got into a small group with parents and uh, we, did, we did concessions and we did, we did football uh, from July all the way to October with that group of people. And we got to know them really well. And there was community there. We do the same thing here at church. We form relationships. We may not have that even that much in common, but what do we do? We form relationships for a specific purpose, and that is to know and love Jesus Christ. Oh, is that what you're about? Then we got everything in common. I just want to join with you. See, that's God's plan. That's how you answer relational impoverishment. You, you answer it by making a commitment to a group of people. It's not always easy. Not, you know, it, 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 it's not always smooth because that's the point. Because in the, in the difficulty of community and in the challenge of community, we're growing in Christ-likeness. Which is the point. Now, let me, just, let me just share with you just some benefits of belonging to the church. And, and uh, I'm, I, may, uh, I may step on some toes here, so uh, just put your shoes on. So here we go. Um, let me give you just three benefits. Uh, the first benefit, if, if, you, if you make a commitment to belonging to community in a church, uh, the first thing that happens is you'll begin to realize your identity. 
you will really begin to realize who you are. And I would say to our high school and middle school students who are really working with this question of identity, let, let, me, let me just tell you, your identity is defined by your relationships. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Let, let me just explain what I mean by that. Have you ever noticed how many people in our society today are so committed to wearing certain brands? Like Tommy Hilfiger or Nike or Gucci, um, Vans, you know, we have certain brands that we dial into. Now, why do people do that? You ever thought about that? Well, part of the reason is they want to feel like they're part of something big. They feel like if I wear this certain thing, this certain thing carries with it uh, an image that I want to be identified with. I want to be cool. I want to show the people that, that uh, I'm worthy of being included, that I'm, I'm a great guy, I'm a great gal, you know. And, and so what we do is a lot of people seek their identity by the certain brands that they wear. But here's the truth, church, don't miss this. You can't form your identity based on the clothes you wear. You can't form your identity based on that. Your identity is formed by your relationship with God and who he says you are. And he is the one who's determined our value because he gave up his son for you on the cross. And that means that you're pretty valuable in his eyes. And so that is an identity marker, your relationship with God. But your relationship with other people is also um, an identity marker. I mean, think about for me. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor. And all of that is based on horizontal relationships. Those are the things that define me, not not the clothes that I wear. And so all of these kind of relationships, particularly our family relationship, really goes a long way in defining who we are as people. Now, some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, that's terrible news, you know? Because my family is broken and dysfunctional. Can I share some really good news with you today, church? All of our families are broken and dysfunctional. Can I get an amen to that? The Luck family is broken and dysfunctional by the virtue of me being in it. And that is the truth. But there's, there's better news about it than this, regardless of you know, what your earthly family is like. God has, by his grace and his blood shed for you, has incorporated you into a bigger family and a more significant family as a Christian. And you see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. The apostle Paul says this. He says, I hope to come to you soon, he says, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, if I don't get there, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Now notice that phrase, household of God. In the Greek, that means family. I want you to know how to behave in the family of God. And then he defines the family of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and, the, and, the, and buttress of the truth. So what he's saying is the church, the church is a family. And out of that family relationship, I know who I am. That my, that my identity is grounded in the grace of God and the love of God's people. Not in what I do, not in how much money I make, not in the kind of house I live in or the kind of car I drive or what I'm able to achieve or, or the degrees that I, I can hang on the wall. It's defined by my relationship with God and the love of God's people. Now, 
Church, let me just say it like this. Your spiritual family is far more important than your physical family. It is. You need to be thankful for your physical family. As dysfunctional and as broken as they are, they're God's gift to you. Okay, so you need to be thankful for them. God allowed you to be born into a physical family so that you could be born again into his spiritual family. Which is, would be impossible if you're not a part of a physical family. So you need to be thankful for that. So then the question is, well, why is the spiritual family more important than the physical family? Well, I'll tell you, the, the answer is very simple. Because f- physical families, people grow and get old. They move away. They get divorced. They die. They're not going to last. But your spiritual family will last forever. Look around the room, church. This is your spiritual family. And there's a bigger one awaiting us in heaven. It's interesting to me how our society really focuses on artificial identifiers. Have you noticed that? Do you notice how divided we are as a society? Because we are, we're chasing artificial identifiers. When people don't understand how, how, where their identity comes from, they grab on to artificial identifiers. Male versus female. Rich versus poor. Educated versus uneducated. I'm for the Green New Deal. I'm against the Green New Deal. Republican, Democrat, right? Black versus, versus white. We, we, we latch on to these identifiers because we don't realize there's a greater identity marker than all of those that will last forever. And that is our relationship with God. And so people jump on to their political candidate as their political savior, or they jump onto their celebrity, you know, because of their, their pet project or their, their pet agenda, whatever it is. And I'm just here to tell you this, church. The United States of America is an experiment, but the church is a certainty. So which one do you want to base your identity on? And so the Bible says your identity is the fact that you are sons and daughters of God, that you've been purchased by the precious blood of the Son of God, that you belong to him, that you are loved by God and brought into his family, adopted into his family. And so when you begin to realize this identity and that you don't have to perform for it, that it's a gift on you bestowed by your heavenly father, implications of that are absolutely life-changing. A love that we can't even articulate. But there's another benefit, and that is this. If you, if you make a commitment to belonging to God's family and community, you, you'll be supported by others. You'll be supported by others. It's interesting because, you know, the Bible uses these metaphors to describe the church, to try to convey to us what God is really doing. So, so the, the writers of Scripture use these metaphors to try to convey what is happening so that we can kind of latch on and understand. And so the family is definitely a metaphor. But another metaphor that, that is used in Scripture is the church is a temple. The church is a temple. Now, think with me, what what is a temple? Well, really, a temple is a building. It's a structure erected to contain the very presence of God on earth. So it's a structure that has the very presence of God. And so the Bible says the church, you and I, are actually temples of the presence of God. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2.19. Let me just show you this in Scripture. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. So you're no longer on the outside. 
but now your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's that word again, household. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Get this, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. God's building a big old temple and you're a piece of that. That's what he's building. And individually, we have, if we're Christians, we have the spirit of God living in us and our physical bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit. But as the church of Jesus Christ, there's something bigger being formed. And that is the temple of God. You know, last year when we were adding on uh, the building expansion, it was really cool just to walk through it every day. It seemed like we would... um, do that regularly and you would just see all all of these building construction materials just stacked up in piles just everywhere you went and so they would make these deliveries and so you'd see the the building materials there and really just sitting on the floor detached from all the other building materials and detached from the structure itself absolutely useless worth nothing you can't do anything with it just sitting there It only becomes useful when it becomes attached. Isn't that interesting? And so we live in a society that tells us, oh, you're useful by yourself. Don't you believe it? We become useful to God when we discover our shared purpose of knowing and walking with him. And we join together and God is glorified because he works through people to accomplish his purposes. He works through people joined together to accomplish his purposes. And so I just want to challenge you. Are you being supported? Do you have a group of someones who can support you and you can can join to? You need that. You can't get it through just church attendance. It doesn't happen that way. Now you say, well, how can I get connected? Well, there are several ways that you can do it. You can do it. You can do it in the membership class. We're doing an intensive membership class tomorrow night and Tuesday night. You could sign up today. You You could do it by... By serving, just jumping into a ministry and start building friendships and relationships just in, on, a, on, a, on a ministry team. You could jump into a discipleship group. We're going to be launching discipleship groups this August and September. And uh, you need to jump into a group so that you can grow in your relationship with God. And you know, sometimes you, you got to try out a ministry and say, you know what, that wasn't a perfect fit. I'm going to try another one. And you jump into a group and you say, you know what, that wasn't a perfect fit. I'm going to try another one. Because it's, it's not something we can microwave, you guys. It, I mean, we can go through McDonald's and get a three-course meal in five minutes, but we can't, we can't microwave. It just takes time. It takes risk. But man, it's powerful and life-changing. Lastly, I'll say this. The third benefit is I discover my value. I discover my value, my unique value. Um, because it's interesting because the metaphors that The Bible uses for the church, family and temple, but also body, body. We are the body of Christ. You see this in Romans 12, uh, where Paul says, for as in one body, we, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one body, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use those gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and he goes on to list other gifts. You have gifts. Use those gifts for the glory of God to bless the body of Christ. That's what you're created for. 
That's who you are. And your value not comes from, look what I did. Your value comes from, look what God did. Look what God's doing through us. That's our value. That's what's going to be, that's what is going to make heaven, heaven. So I just want to challenge you today to take a step, church. And as we kind of close, I just want to, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what God gave up so that you could be in his family. He gave up a precious member of his family so you, you and I could be in it. Jesus let them tear down his temple so he could raise it up on the third day so that you and I could be the temple. Jesus let them tear up his body so that you and I could be engrafted into the body of Christ. Man, that is grace. And that is a beautiful thing. And I just challenge us as a church to be a different kind of church where love and community and relationship marks who we are here. Let's pray. So God, we, uh, we thank you for the incredible love of God that is manifested in the church. And when, in a world that seems to be just going crazy and out of control, thank you that you hold it in the palm of your hand and your plan for the redemption of the world is sitting in this church right now, sitting here now, the church, the body, the family, the temple. So God, help us to see who we are Help us to support one another and help us to see our value. Open our eyes to see the cross, God, to see your love for us. And may that love spill out onto one another. It doesn't really matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter what we have, what we don't have, what we've done, what we haven't done. None of that matters. The cross, that's the only thing that matters. And thank you for bringing us and inviting us into it. And we thank you and praise you and all of God's people said, amen.